been a while since I've been up here. <laughs> a lot of things have have changed in the last year. <clears throat> it's been a crazy year. Part of the reason that um, I want to I want to talk about what I'm going to talk about this morning is because of you. Last March, you sent three of the elders in this church to a shepherds conference. And um, it was a great time. Thank you for that. Um, All of us enjoyed it immensely. And we were greatly encouraged. But one of the speakers in a a kind of a breakout group that I went to um, mentioned in passing about an A-plus church. I've never heard of an A-plus church. And as I thought about that, I thought, can there be such a thing as an A-plus church? I mean, we're we're all made up of, the churches are all made up of flawed individuals. Can can we really become an A-plus church? So I thought about that for a while, and he mentioned that it was... uh, in 1 Thessalonians. I thought, how is it, if there is such a thing as an A-plus church, that I, as an elder, do not know about it? It gets worse. <laughs> I started thinking about 1 Thessalonians. When somebody comes up to the, to the podium to speak, I autom- and they say, turn in your Bibles to such and such a passage. I automatically do a Google search in my mind. I think, oh, we're going to talk about love out of 1 Corinthians 13. Or we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew 5. Or or any one of a number of other passages. He said 1 Thessalonians. And the more I thought about 1 Thessalonians, the more I thought... What do I know about 1 Thessalonians? My Google search was coming up pretty empty. The only thing I knew, I knew two things. I knew at the, uh, towards the end of chapter 4 that Paul talked about the rapture of the church. And I, and, and I remember, and maybe you've heard this too, I remember... Um, the church at Thessalonica being characterized by this phrase. They were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. And that's all I knew. And I thought, this is, this is not good. So I started reading and rereading and rereading 1 Thessalonians. What I'd like for us to do today is three things. Look at 1 Thessalonians and see if there is a possibility of an A-plus church. And if there is that possibility, what are the characteristics of an A-plus church? And thirdly, what are the implications for us to improve our GPA to become an A-plus church. So let's pray, and then we'll, um, we'll get started. 
Heavenly Father, we come to your word to see how you want us to live. Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts as you've spoken to mine and as you continue to speak to mine about how you want us to live. Lord, I pray that you would give us the convictions to do what's in your word. And I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Largely, we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians. Um, we're, we're not... There's only five chapters, by the way. It's not a big book. Takes, you know, I never did time myself as how long it takes to read it, but not very long, 15 minutes at the most. Um, but we're going to hopscotch through First Thessalonians. And I think maybe the reason I've never heard about the church at Thessalonica very much is because 1 Thessalonians doesn't really offer anything new doctrinally. There is, there is the rapture of the church, which it does make a significant contribution in our knowledge about that. And we're not even going to talk about that this morning. But, um, but for the most part, 1 Thessalonians is kind of kind of putting together what is included in other parts of the New Testament. So we don't spend too much time in 1 Thessalonians. I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard, outside of the rapture in, in chapter 4, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on 1 Thessalonians. I would like for us to do that this morning. So the first question we want to answer is, is there such a thing as an A-plus church? Now, before we, before we dive into that answer, I want to give you a little bit of background about the church at Thessalonica. Um, it's in Greece, and ironically, 2,000 years, Greece hasn't changed too much. Um, it's still basically the same, the same configuration that it was in Paul's day. It's shaped kind of like... Baja, California, in that it's, it's got a, a leg that comes down. And there is a northern part and a southern part, which Paul refers to. The northern part is called Macedonia. The southern part is called Achaia. And the church at Thessalonica is up in the north, um, along with the church at Berea, and the church at Philippi. It's kind of, it's, if, you, if you're familiar with Baja, Mexico at all, it's kind of like being in the same location as San Felipe. It, it's got kind of that um, configuration, if you will. So, <clears throat> geographically, it's kind of a long, skinny country. Um, not... It gets fat, it's fat at the top and then it gets skinny at the bottom. And Corinth is clear down at, at the very bottom. Turn, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. This is the, um, the account 
of, of when the church was started. It's Paul's second missionary journey. He's been traveling around uh, Europe planting churches. But it provides some significant background to what and helps in our understanding when we go to uh, 1 Thessalonians about what's going on in the church. Um, I want to read the first eight verses in, in uh, Acts chapter 17. Now when they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some of the wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. And and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. So there was, <clears throat> there was a great deal of friction after Paul had planted the church. Um, Acts tells us he stayed there, or he ministered for three Sabbaths in the synagogue. Most of the commentators feel like it, it probably was a longer time than that because of, of everything that was going on in 1 in Thessalonians. It's, it, um, it, I just feel like it, it had to be a longer period of time. The congregation was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Um, Jewish converts. Gentiles were put in two groups, though. The God-fearing Gentiles and your run-of-the-mill idol worshipers. So, so there was a wide diversity in this church. Now, like a lot of other places, um, Paul faced opposition to the gospel. Um, Paul's opposition was primarily from the Jews, although it overlapped into the Gentiles. Um, in Philippi, where um, we'll read in a little bit, where he had just come from, he got thrown in jail because he cast out a demon from a gal who was a fortune teller. And um, that made her, she was a slave to some other people, and that made them lose their income. They weren't happy about it. So they, they stirred, up, stirred up the mob, got Paul and Silas thrown into jail. And um, um, so there was, a, there was an ongoing uh, opposition 
to the gospel. Paul writes this letter to the this first letter to the Thessalonians, and, and he does it for, for at least four main reasons. Um, first off, after establishing, after establishing the church in, that we've read about in, in Acts 17, Paul takes off and continues on his journey. The, the church at Thessalonica suffered great persecution. And they didn't have the internet back then. So Paul had no idea about what was going on at the church in Thessalonica. He sent Timothy back to check on them. He was afraid that they had bailed on their faith. He was afraid that they'd thrown in the towel. So this Christianity is not worth it. Uh, if I got to suffer this kind of hardship, it's not worth it. Timothy went, back to the, went to the church and reported back to Paul and said, no, it's not that way. They're doing well in their faith. They're doing excellent in their faith. And, and so the first, the first reason that Paul wanted to um, write this letter is to encourage the church to continue on, to keep on doing what you're doing. He was greatly encouraged by, by Timothy's report, um, and um, he, he wanted to encourage them to keep on keeping on. During the course of this study, it, it dawned on me, this is the beginning, well, not really the beginning, but kind of, kind of persecution is getting ramped up about the time Paul writes 1 Thessalonians. And it continues on for another 250 years. Um, Christians become martyrs. They become f- food for wild animals. Um, all kinds of things. Did, it ever, did you ever wonder why Rome had such a thing about Christianity? I mean, Rome embraced all kinds of gods. Why did they have a problem with Christianity? One of the things that I, that I found out is Christianity did not worship and chose to upset Roman society. They chose to upset Roman society by not buying into the Roman gods. And when you don't buy into the Roman gods, of which Caesar is one, when you don't buy into the Roman gods, it makes the gods happy. And so then they don't look down with favor upon the Romans. So all the bad things that happen in Rome are a result of the gods being upset, and they're upset because of Christians. So let's eliminate the Christians. That's kind of, that's one of many reasons why Christians were persecuted so, so violently and so heavy. At this point, I want to take a little bit of a commercial break. Alistair alluded to the fact that we're starting back Sunday school this morning. Jeannie's class is starting um, 
picking back up in Daniel, and they're going to be in the educational wing. Um, and here in the auditorium, we, we're going to start um, a, a new series called The Cloud of Witnesses. And it is, it is kind of the history of the church from the apostles down through the ages. The, the things that the church faced, the, um, the persecution that they faced, the heresy that they faced, the question about who is Jesus really, and, and the place of centrality in, in the role that the Bible plays in our Christian faith. All those things came about and were debated and discussed down through the ages. Some of the, many of the things that they faced in the last 2,000 years are still going on today. And um, as they addressed them, I think you're going to find it, it very beneficial. I'm very excited about, about learning about our church history and how they, how they went through the issues that they, ref, that they faced and um, solutions that they came up with. Um, I want to encourage everybody to, to stay at, at 10 o'clock and, and uh, um, join us in Sunday school. So the second reason that Paul wrote this letter, he had to answer questions about those who had died. The church at Thessalonica was looking forward to Jesus coming back at any, at any time. But people were dying. What happened to them? They, were, they anticipated being alive when Jesus came back. But some of their family members, some of their friends had died. What's going to happen to them? So Paul addresses that um, in chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5 um, to give them some assurances about the people who have died in Christ. The third reason that Paul wrote it is he wanted to give them further instructions. We don't really know how long Paul was there when he established the church, but, um, but Paul says uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 10, I want to give you further instructions, um, things that may be lacking in your faith. I, I want to I help you with that. So he wrote the letter for that. And lastly, number four, seems like everywhere Paul went, there were people who would come back, we call them Judaizers, people who would come in and discredit Paul. Um, happened over and over again. And, and I, think, I think maybe they went after Paul because they could, not, they could not attack the message. So they went after the messenger and said, hey, Paul's only preaching for money. You know, he, he's only in it, in it for what he can get out of it. And, and you, guys have, you guys have been duped and stuff. So Paul defends, in chapter 2, Paul defends his, 
um, his methodology and, and what he did when he was there at the church in Thessalonica. We're going to dive in a little bit deeper on that Wednesday, Wednesday night. But um, that is the fourth reason why Paul wrote this letter. Now, getting back to our original question of, can there really be such a thing as an A-plus church? Paul's praise of the church at Thessalonica is unique. All through the New Testament, Paul tells other people, Timothy, Titus, follow my example. Follow Christ's example. Never does he say, follow such and such's example. But with the church at Thessalonica, he does. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read the first eight verses of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Generally, 2 chapter 8 talks about giving, and that's kind of the, the primary focus of, of chapter 8 in, in 2 Corinthians. But he uses, and I want, you to, I want you to see this, he uses the church at Thessalonica as an example to the church at Corinth. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us, with much entreaty for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. And this, not, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urged Titus that he, as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in love, in love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Paul was using the church at, in Macedonia, the church in Thessalonica, as an example to the, to the Corinthian church to give. They had started to take up a collection, but had never finished it. It was for the believers in Jerusalem who, who were notoriously poor. And Paul used the church in Thessalonica as an example to the church at Corinth to give, to finish the collection, to take up the collection and finish it so that... Um, they could take it to Jerusalem. Now turn over a, a page to chapter 11, and I want to read one verse, verse 9. <clears throat> and when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. 
For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need, and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. Paul brings back up those churches in Macedonia and says, hey, guess what? When I was ministering to you, they were the ones who were supporting me, not you. They were the ones who were supporting me. Again, using them as an example. The, the second thing that, that really sticks out in, um, in 1 Thessalonians about their, I don't know if this is a word, their A-plusness, their greatness, their, their, uh, their exemplary behavior is in... Um, is in chapter 2. And I want to look at verses 19 and 20. As I find it. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> For who, Paul is writing to them, and he says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. He never says that about anybody. Only the church at Thessalonica. He said, who are we going to boast about when Jesus comes back? He said, I'm going to boast about you. You are my pride and joy. Just like a proud grandparent boasting about the accomplishments of their grandkids. Paul is boasting about the accomplishments of the church at Thessalonica. So my conclusion is there is an A-plus church, and it's at Thessalonica. So now, now we move on to the second question. What's, what makes up an A-plus church? What are they doing? What's all the boasting about? What are they doing that is um, so exemplary? You could probably sum this up by saying they are exhibiting, they are acting out faith, love, and hope. That's kind of a that's kind of a very broad um, overview of what they're doing. We'll break that down into into some parts, but if you don't remember anything else, this church was exhibiting faith, hope, and love. Paul mentions it twice in his epistles. Most of the time, when we think of faith, hope, and love. It's at the end of chapter 13 in, in 1 Corinthians. Paul mentions it twice here. Um, in chapter 1, he says, verse, which is it? Um, three. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus as the presence of our God and Father. 
they're exhibiting those things. And later on in chapter 5, um, verse 8, he said, I want you to continue to clothe yourselves in faith, love, and hope. Put that on. Put on the, put on the breastplate. Put on the helmet. Clothe yourselves in faith, hope, and love. And one other time, he mentions just faith and love. This church was exhibiting those three qualities in their lives. Um, and if you were to sum up what makes, what are the qualities of an A-plus church, they exhibit faith hope and love. We'll look at how that happened in, in the life of the Thessalonians. Um, in, the, uh, in the first chapter, Paul says, your testimony precedes you. He said, <clears throat> We're, whenever I go and remember the country, Macedonia in the north, Achaia in the south, Whenever I go anywhere in Greece, I hear about your faith. And even beyond Greece, even, even other places, I hear about your faith. So much so that I don't even need to say anything. Um, I want to read verses... Um, we, read, we read verse 3, so let's read 4 through... Uh, um, eight, and um, we'll see how that plays out. So, continuing on, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice for you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. For you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation and with joy in the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Their testimony preceded them. Everybody was talking about the church at Thessalonica, the change that God had wrought in the lives of the believers. It was a work of God. And, and people could see that. People could see how different the church at Thessalonica was. Now that's, that's the second quality. The, <clears throat> they... Let me turn back here. 
Not only are they exhibiting faith, hope, and love, their testimony precedes them. And thirdly, they're living in a way that pleases God. Um, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Paul says, you're already doing it. And as a matter of fact, um, there is a common theme that runs through this whole book. It's, you already know. You already know this. You are already doing this. And in the case of um, living in a way that pleases God, they're already doing it. Paul says, but I want you to excel still more. I don't think anything nullifies a testimony quicker than hypocrisy. If their lives don't match their words, people write them off. Nobody, nobody pays attention. So their lives were matching their lips, if you will, and, and their testimony was going forth. Um, Paul does include, a later on in, a little bit later on in this chapter, um, some admonitions about um, sexual pur purity. And uh, some commentators think, well, there's some problems here in the church about that. I don't. Um, first off, when Paul has a problem with, with somebody's behavior, he's not bashful about addressing it. In 1 Corinthians 5, um, there was a man living with his, his stepmother. He addressed it head on. And, and even more so, or as well as, he addressed the church for allowing it to happen and even boasting about that. Um, Paul's not bashful about dealing with something directly. And um, in Philippians chapter 4, two ladies are having a disagreement, Yodica and Syntyche, and He's not bashful about naming them and saying, hey, you need to get your act together. You need to solve this difficulty. Paul doesn't say anything like that here. He just gives general instructions about being pure sexually. Now, it's often said silence is a weak argument. And and that's probably true. You can't make up a, a very strong argument for what is not said. But look at what is said. Um, chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to, ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk. They're already doing it. And I really believe that they were walking in a way 
that was exemplary. They were walking in a way that pleased God. They were living their lives the way God wanted them to live. The end of chapter 3 is a prayer for the church. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. They're certainly not perfect. But, but they are doing the things that God wants them to do. At the end of chapter 3, Paul prays for them. And, and, and this occurs twice in this, in this book. Um, at the end of chapter 3 and I think at the end of chapter 5, he prays for them to be strong in holiness, to be strengthened in holiness, and so that he might present them blameless when, when Jesus comes back. He was, they were well on their way to living a life that was very, very good. A life that pleased God in many, many ways. Not perfect, but, but doing all the right things. So they were living in a way that pleases God. And fourthly, the fourth thing that I think we can learn from the Thessalonians is they were loving people um, in, a, in a way that was above and beyond. In chapter 4, verse 10, he said, For indeed you do practice it, talking about love, towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. This happens a couple of times in the New Testament where, where churches exhibit um, a, great, um, a great example of love. And Paul says, you're doing a good job, but keep on. Do even more. So you have to ask the question, when is enough enough? never is. It never is. God expects us to do even more. The same is true with, with holy or righteous living. We need to do more. Um, how did that love manifest itself in, in the church in Thessalonica? First, it manifested itself in ways that you would probably associate with love um, and in some ways that you might not associate with love. Financially, they gave to, they gave to the church. Paul says in, in what we read in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul said they begged me several times to give to the church in Jerusalem. Not because they were wealthy. They were poor, very poor. Paul says they gave beyond their means. That's love. They gave not only to the people at, at uh, Jerusalem, but as we saw in, in uh, chapter first, 2 Corinthians 11, they gave to Paul's ministry. They supported him um, when he was at Corinth. They were building into 
And here he says they're building into all the people in all Macedonia, in all of Greece. They're, they're, they're building into people because of their love. There doesn't spell out exactly how that's portrayed, but um, they are taking steps to be proactive in exhibiting love towards the people around them. Um, and that, that results in, in God's message going out, God's message going forward. Um, in a, in a, love also demonstrates itself in, in ways that we might not think of. Um, in chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, Paul has um, a little bit of an admonition about how to manifest love within the church community. Um, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and to work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Paul says, the way you, you guys need to exhibit love is not be a burden to other people. He said, live a, live a quiet life and not, not be meddling in other people's affairs. We probably all know of, of somebody who uh, volunteers advice about issues that you may have in your life unsolicited. Paul says, don't be doing that. He said, don't be, don't be diving into other people's business. Don't be a burden to other people. And he said, I want you to, to work with your hands so that you can provide for you and your family so that you're not a burden to those people who are doing that. That's love, not being a burden to other people. So those two ways, love was being manifested in um, the church at Thessalonica. Lastly, um, in chapter 5, verse 11, Paul gives a very broad spectrum. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, build up one another just as you are also doing. Another one of those, just as you're also doing. They were encouraging one another. They were building one another up. They were coming alongside them and helping them through through issues or problems or, or whatever would pop up. That was love being demonstrated just as you're already doing. Um, so those are the things that, that an A-plus church does. Largely, faith, hope, and love, and the manifestation of those, th those three things. 
So, what does that mean for us in Mount Shasta? What does that mean? How do we, how do we improve our GPA? How do we improve our, our grade before God in manifesting faith, hope, and love? That's the first thing. We need to make faith, hope, and love a central focus of what we do. Um, we live in a society, as Alistair alluded to, that's in an election year, it's in turmoil. It's, it's, it's crazy. Everybody wants to put a Band-Aid on, on the problems. There is only one solution for America's problems, and that's Jesus. Uh, everything else is just a Band-Aid. It's not going to fix it permanently. The only permanent solution is Jesus. So we need to exhibit faith, hope, and love to the world around us. Um, and that's a very, that's a very broad thing. I mean, we could not list, even if we were here for several hours, we could not list all the ways to manifest faith, hope, and love in our lives. I could not list all the ways that this church manifests faith, hope, and love. Just already what we're doing. I don't even know all the ministries that, that are going on here. Um, but <clears throat> I, have, I have just some, some recommendations that, that I would like you to consider um, in terms of doing more for faith, hope, and love. And I, and I not only say this to you, but I say this to myself as well. First off, we need to actively pursue the lost. By actively pursuing the lost, I mean we need to pray for somebody by name each day. We need to look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Ask God to give us the opportunity to share the gospel. If we agree that that is the solution to our world, then that's what we need to be about. Secondly, we look, need to look for ways to demonstrate love to others in the church and outside the church. Don't wait to be asked. When you see a need, move to meet it. Don't wait for the phone call or um, to sign up on a sheet of paper. I mean, not that that's bad. And not that that isn't needed, but when you see a need, move to need it. Do more and more. Um, may, maybe this is more for me than for you, but say yes to when you're asked. Don't say, well, I've already done enough. I've, I, I put my time in. Somebody else can do that. 
do more and more. Say yes, if you possibly can, to meeting that need. Thirdly, ask God to show you ways to love others. We don't always recognize that. Some of us are better than that. Some of us are better at that than others. But ask God to show us ways, show us personally, ways we might love other people. Fourthly, get involved in a ministry of service to others. There's all kinds of, there's all kinds of ministries going on in this church. Um, and... Fifthly, if if one of those ministries isn't your cup of tea, find one that is. Make one up. It's okay. Love other people. Do more and more. We have never, ever, we will never, ever arrive. We can never, ever say, that's enough. We've, We've done enough. Do more and more. Because that's what the gospel is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. Faith, hope, and love. Secondly, how do we make that happen beyond Mount Shasta? We got all kinds of opportunities for that too. There's, there's boxes up here. We can, we, can, we, can fill, we can fill boxes we can do all kinds of things for ministries beyond our borders so that just like the church in Thessalonica, our testimony goes beyond Mount Shasta. There are mission opportunities that come up. Go on one of those mission opportunities. There's no age limit. Go. One of, the, one of the highlights of my life is going to Mexico and ministering to orphanages down there on mission trips. I, I have the fondest memories of doing those things. If you can't go, give. If you can't give, pray. We can always do something. God wants us to exhibit faith, hope, and love. And, and my prayer is, my hope is, my desire is, that all of us will desire to improve our church's GPA. It's possible to be an A-plus church. And we have the ability to do that. We will stand before God and we will have no excuses about why we couldn't do it. We know how to do it. The, what we lack is a conviction. So we just need to decide this is the church we want to be. Dane's going to come up and we're going to sing a song and then, and then we're going to close in prayer. And, and I hope that you will, you will think about how you can exhibit faith, hope, and love in Mount Shasta in 2020 and 2021.